Y'all remember uh, Dan Jansen? The name Dan Jansen? Dan Jansen was an Olympic speed skater. Does that ring a bell now? Olympic speed skater. And you may remember him as the man whose sister uh, named Jane died of leukemia just before the 1988 Winter Games in Calgary. He desperately wanted to win the, the gold medal in honor of his sister Jane. But he failed in Calgary. In the 1992 games in Albertville, France, he again came away empty. Four years later in Lillehammer, Norway, he won the gold medal in the thousand meters and set a new world record. It was an emotional moment when he skated his victory lap with his nine-month-old daughter named Jane in his arms. After the Olympics, Jansen was asked how he had overcome so much adversity and kept on going. He reflected back to a time when he was 12 years old and had lost a skating meet. His father drove him home and Dan pouted all the way. His father was silent until they returned home. Then as Dan was going to bed, his dad came into his room and said, Son, life is more than skating in circles. And with that, he left the room. Jansen said that one comment changed his whole perspective on life. As you know, Dan Jansen didn't quit skating in circles. He just had a bigger picture, a different perspective. His skating took on a new significance. And in many ways, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is wanting to see for those who follow Christ. Yes, at times it may seem like we are going in circles. Life may appear routine and drudgery.
It may even appear miserable. But Paul wants the believer to see things from a different perspective. From a heavenly perspective. From God's perspective. From God's point of view. Now thus far, in the letter to the Colossians, as a response to the false teachers who were claiming Jesus is not God and Jesus is not enough, Paul explained in great detail who Jesus is. Jesus is God. And in Him the fullness of the deity dwells. He is the Creator of all things. The Sustainer of all things. And at just the right time, Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. And in doing so, the invisible God became visible. Possessing all the nature and the characteristics of God to their fullest. Paul explained who Jesus is. But not only that, he explained something about us. At the moment of our salvation, we were spiritually united with Jesus. And in this spiritual union, we were made complete. In Christ, our sin debt has been paid in full because it was nailed to His cross. In Christ, the power of sin can no longer dominate a believer. We can now say no to those things we once said yes to. In Christ, we share in the victory accomplished by Jesus. We are alive because He is alive. And as a result, we can step out of the shadows of religion with its man-made rules and man-made rituals and walk in a gracious and loving relationship with God. We are complete in Christ. And therefore, we have everything we need. So, oh, that was a crack. So with that, I talk about uh, base now. Now with that, right. With that foundation laid for us, we come to Colossians chapter 3, where Paul explains how all of this is to work out in the life of a believer. Okay? So beginning with verse 1. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, 
Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, I love this, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. These four verses serve as a hinge point. They serve as a hinge point in this letter to the Colossians. In the first two chapters, Paul had focused on doctrinal truth. Doctrinal truth explaining who Jesus is and who we are in Him. But after these four verses, Paul shifts from doctrinal truth to the practical application of that truth. So what we have here in these first four verses is a hinge point. Okay? Paul says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, which could just as well read, since you have been raised up with Christ. It's a confirmed fact. It's a reality of being spiritually united and connected with Him. So, since Jesus is alive and we are alive with Him, that's the truth. Paul commands that we keep seeking the things above. Paul wants believers to view life from a different perspective. A heavenly perspective. Because that's where Jesus is. Who is our life. Believers are to habitually, that's the thought, habitually and deliberately turn their hearts and their minds toward Jesus who is seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, which means all authority and all power are given to Him. Jesus is seated And you know why He is seated? Because His work on our behalf is done. You sit when the work is done. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
So we are to keep seeking and setting our hearts and our minds on the things above where Jesus is. Where kindness and mercy and grace dwell. Where patience and forgiveness is had. Where wisdom and hope and strength and love is found. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's what Paul's talking about. With our hearts and our minds, Paul says, look up. Because that's where Jesus is. Seek the things above. Think about the things from a heavenly perspective. From God's viewpoint. Pursue them. And if it helps, consider your destination. Because your destination should influence your journey. Now just for clarification, this does not mean, as D.L. Moody once said, we become so heavenly minded, we become no earthly good. But rather it means that in our daily lives, in our everyday activities, in our thoughts, Just like a compass points north, our attention and our affection should habitually point upward. And speaking of looking upward, and also forward, one day Jesus will come again from heaven, revealed in all His majesty and glory, and we will be with Him. So we can't become obsessed and preoccupied with the things of this world. Our hearts and our minds are to be turned upward while the things of this earth grow strangely dim. We have a heavenly destination, a new home, and Jesus has given us a new perspective on life, something this world cannot understand. Our life is hidden as far as the world is concerned. Because the world does not know Jesus Christ. In Christ we died. 
sin's dominating power over us has been broken. And now we have a new hidden life with Jesus. In fact, Jesus is our life. And as a result, people should look at us and wonder why we are so different from those who live according to the views and the values of this world. Christians should be different. We are supposed to be different. We go to church and claim we are different. But unfortunately, that's not always what this world sees and hears and talks about. And that's where Paul takes us next, beginning with verse 5. Paul says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also... Put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. That was a lot. So Paul has finished the doctrinal part of his letter. And now he moves into the practical part. And just so you know, this is a pattern of Paul seen in many of his other letters. In this letter, Paul began by telling us who Christ is, and he explained who we are in Christ. It's all doctrine. And now he moves to practice. This passage begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, since Christ is our life, therefore, since the power of sin can no longer dominate us, Therefore, since we are no longer entangled by the wicked things of this world, therefore, since our hearts and our minds are turned upward where Jesus is, then therefore, there is a certain way we are to live. And there are things of our old sinful nature we need to throw out. 
And Paul starts with the subject of sexual sin. And rightly so. In the culture of that day, the Greek culture in which the Colossians were steeped in, prostitution and fornication were considered permissible activities for men. Even a married man, not a married woman, that's bad, but a married man could engage in extramarital affairs as much as he wished. Sexual permissiveness was rampant in their culture, and it's surely rampant in ours, so much so that even we have become indifferent to it. And Paul said to throw it out. And once again, I need to remind you that Paul is writing to Christians. Okay? He's writing to Christians. Now, if you notice, the first word Paul brings up is immorality. A man wrote, Dear Abby, remember that name, Dear Abby? Dear Abby, I'm in love. Right there. I'm in love and I'm having an affair with two different women other than my wife. I love my wife, but I love these other women too. Please tell me what to do. But don't give me any of that morality stuff. Signed, too much love for only one. I gotta cry a little bit. Too much love for only one. Don't give me any of that morality stuff. In this case, Abby's answer was classic. She wrote, Dear too much love for only one. The only difference between humans and animals is morality. Please write to a veterinarian. That was to the point, wasn't it? Immorality. In the Greek, the word is pornea. The word is pornea from which we get our English word of porno or pornography. Now this word pornea refers to just more than dirty movies and dirty magazines. Okay. In general... It refers to all forms of sinful sexual conduct. And just to keep it real for you, the only 
acceptable sexual conduct for the Christian is that which occurs between a man and a woman, and that would be a real man and a real woman, and just for context, who are married Amen. to each other. Okay, they're married to each other. Amen. Just okay. Just gotta bring just gotta bring clarity to that. That's it. That's it. That means premarital sex is a sin. Even though your boyfriend says, oh, I love you. Okay? Extramarital sex, referring to adultery, is a sin. Prostitution is a sin for all involved. And homosexual sex, Yes, that too is a sin. That's what the Bible calls it. I don't care what this culture has to say about it. Okay. Then Paul mentions impurity. A word that literally describes a substance that is unclean like an oozing infected wound. Someone described it as like putting your hand in toilet water that hasn't been flushed yet. Okay. With this word, Paul speaks to any activity of a suggestive sexual nature that is deemed inappropriate. I'll just say it's filthy. Okay. And from there, Paul digresses. He digresses from immoral acts to immoral thoughts. Bringing up our passions and our evil desires. Similar words. And here, it's where he goes a little deeper. It's here where it all starts. It's here that we start to tinker with these things in our minds. I've told the Sunday school class that when we sin, actually we sin twice. Remember that? We sin twice. First it occurs up here. Then it's the action. So Paul's talking about tinkering with this stuff, our evil desires in our minds. That's where it all starts. Paul mentions the word greed. And at first glance, we might think he is talking about the love of money and material things. And that's certainly a problem. But in the Greek, it simply means the desire to have. The desire to have more. The desire to have what isn't yours. And staying with the flow, because I'm a flow person, I think Paul is referring to the lustful craving to lay your hands on another person's body. as if their body 
is your possession. To which Paul says amounts to idolatry. Meaning, from God's point of view, you are worshiping and bowing your knee to another. Yourself. Yourself. It's a worship of self. And ultimately, that's where this whole thing starts. Listen, this was a problem back then. And it's still a problem today. And many Christians have been dragged back into the muck and the mire of sexual sin. Paul says to the Christian, your body is dead to this stuff and you need to get it out of your life. Kill it. Kill it where it starts. Will it be a struggle? Yeah. Sexual sin is a different kind of animal. Its claws go deep. And you will need the Lord's help. Absolutely. You need to look up. You need to look up. And as you do, confession might be a good place to start. Agree with God that what you are thinking about and what you are doing is absolutely wrong. It's a sin against God. Ultimately, it's idolatry, the worship of yourself. And also be reminded that God brought His wrath down upon people who were doing the very same thing. In other words, people were sent to hell for this stuff. So it's that serious. And why would we do it? Look up. Ask God to forgive you, and graciously He will. And then ask Him to give you His perspective on it, and the resolve, and the support, and the strength to say, no, no more. Now I want to turn your attention to verse 8. where Paul brings up another serious problem for Christians. And it's the problem of anger. Anger. And the anger that Paul describes here is this deep-seated, stewing bitter kind of anger that quietly devours a person from within. We might describe this kind of person as being hot-tempered or hot-headed. 
under the surface, this Christian has a temper that always seems to be smoldering. It's always smoldering. And then, often over the littlest of things, like a match thrown into a pile of dry grass, their anger suddenly explodes into wrath. The idea here is that a person's anger builds up so much that it bursts into a fit of rage and lashes out at others. They yell and scream. They say hurtful things they shouldn't. Ironically, taking their rage out on the ones who love them most. As if, as if they have some moral high ground to pass judgment on others. Paul says, what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? That has no place in the life of a Christian. Those things have to stop now. That's what he implies. Those things have to stop now. So kill it. If you notice, Paul continues with the sins of malice and slander and abusive speech, all of which describes a sharp cutting tongue that seems to fit right between anger and wrath. Malice refers to an ill will or a mean spirit towards another person which often rears its ugly head during an outburst of anger. Slander is basically an attack against the character or the reputation of a person, which too can be associated with a hot temper. And then there's abusive speech or obscene language. And that seems to speak for itself when anger is involved. The truth is, Christians can say the worst and the meanest things. That's the truth. Christians can say the worst and the meanest things. And Paul would respond, that's not who we are in Christ. And Jesus would take this matter a little further, a little deeper, and point out the problem is not really the mouth. He said to a self-righteous religious leader, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth, hear this, speaks out 
of that which fills the heart. So clearly when it comes to the mouth, the heart of the matter is the heart. Your heart. Now Paul's not done. Lastly, he says, to stop lying to one another. And continuing with this this flow, this flow in this passage, it seems that Paul is saying this. Hear me. Stop saying whatever you think you need to say to justify your sinful behavior. I need to repeat that. Stop saying whatever you think you need to say to justify your sinful behavior. To Paul, it's all lying. It's all lying. And how about instead, maybe try something new. And start with the words... I am so sorry. I am wrong. Wrong. I know we have a hard time saying that, don't we? Adelia, how do you say I am wrong in Spanish? I didn't hear a word. What is that? Okay, what she said. Yeah. If you can't say I am wrong, say that. That was our first Spanish lesson. (laughs) I am wrong. Can you forgive me? Try those words. I'm so sorry. I am wrong. Can you forgive me? Maybe when you leave today in the quietness of your car, that might be a good place to start. I am so sorry. I was wrong. Instead of justifying, trying to justify your behavior, which is a lie, you're playing God, I was wrong. I'm sorry. You know, when studying these passages, I was reminded of the story in John chapter 11. I don't have it there. John chapter 11. Where Jesus goes to where Lazarus was buried in a cave. You know the story. Jesus goes to where Lazarus was buried in a cave in a cave. It was a very sad and and somber time as people were there mourning their loss. Now Jesus loved Lazarus. We are told He loved Lazarus. But by design, 
He shows up late with a purpose. With a purpose. Jesus speaks to Martha and to Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, who both said to Jesus, if you had been here on time, he would not have died. Then Jesus said something surprising. Remove the stone. Remove the stone. To which they replied, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. He stinketh. That's King James. He stinketh. For he has been dead for four days. Anyway, at his command, the stone was removed from the cave entrance. And Jesus looked up and cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Sure enough, on command, Lazarus came forth. And I'm guessing he was doing the bunny hop because he was wrapped from head to toe. I don't know how else he would have came out. Then Jesus said this, Unbind him. Let him go. Do you know where I'm going with this? Lazarus was given new life by Jesus. He was a new man. And yet, he was still wearing the clothes of a dead man. Jesus said, get them off of him. He's not dead, he's alive. And Paul is saying the same thing. Like those grave clothes we once wore, that old stuff we used to carry around, those old sinful ways, Paul says to throw them off. Let him go. For he is alive in Christ. Now that's only half of it. Part of the Christian experience is to put off the old stuff. But it also involves putting on the new. And we will get into more of that next week. But we can start with verses with verse 10. Verse 10 where Paul says, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, 
circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So this is huge. In Christ you are new. Not new as in the old you with a clean slate, but new as in a new creation. As if you have never existed before. At the moment of salvation, spiritually, spiritually, you became a new creature in Christ. And this new creation is constantly being cleansed and renewed as you grow in the knowledge of Him. The more you know the Lord, the more you love Him. The more you love Him, the more you trust Him. The more you trust Him, the more you obey Him. And the more you obey Him, the more you let go of your sinful stuff, and the more you become more like Jesus in character. So Paul says, get to know Him. Get to know Him. Okay, now we come to verse 11. And I will confess, I wrestled with this one for days. I wrestled with this one. It is true that in Christ there is no room for divisions among us. That is true. In Christ... No matter our there, there are, no matter our human distinctions and differences, we are all one big family called the church. Okay? I totally get that. But when considering this verse in light of what we just covered. And I admit, I could be making this harder than it has to be. I could be wrong. But I wonder if Paul is saying that we can't use our past background as an excuse for our current behavior. Let me give you an example. I got a terrible problem with lust. It was the culture I was raised in. And on top of that, I'm Italian. I'm hot-blooded like that. I know I have a temper, but I can't help it. I'm redheaded, and I'm Irish. I'm Irish, I can't help it. That's my justification, that's my excuse. I know I have a filthy mouth, 
But that's the way I was brought up. Maybe what Paul is saying here is that despite our backgrounds, however different and diverse they may be, there is one thing that we all have in common, and it's our struggle with that person we used to be. But now in Christ, without excuse, without justification, we all have what it takes to say no to sin, no to self, and yes to Him. A man was passing along the street and saw a blind boy seated on his father's knee, holding in his hand a kite string while the kite was flying in the air. The man said, Do you get any happiness of flying that kite when you cannot see it? Oh, yes, sir, the boy replied. I cannot see it, but I can feel it pull. I can feel it pull. So look up. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time in Your Word. A very blunt word. Paul called it like he sees it. And Father, we need to agree with You. That sin is a sin. We can't excuse it. We can't justify it. We can't play God. So Father, I pray that that Your Word would continue to do a work in our hearts and in our minds. That it would be a mirror that we look in Shows us who we are. Father, help us to take Your Word seriously. Let it permeate us. Let it convict us. Let it change us. Father, I pray as we go about our lives, our daily activities, I pray that we would look up because that's where Jesus is. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning in Sunday school, we were talking about the Word We were in the book of James. I love James. 
James is a no-nonsense kind of guy. I described him as the, uh, as the Joe Friday. Remember, remember Dragnet? Joe Friday? Just a facts man, nothing but the facts. He's a no-nonsense kind of guy. He cuts right to the chase, and that's what he does in his letter. And he makes a distinction between hearers and doers. And there's so many of us, we will, we will get into the Word, we will read the Word, we will hear the Word, either in a Sunday school or online or in a, a setting like this. We will hear it. Right? We will hear it. But are we doing it? Are we doing it? Are we doers? Do we allow God's Word to change us? To grow us? To move us? It's in the experience of, of, of it's in the experience of following him and obeying him that his word just comes alive. If we're simply just hearing the word and we're not allowing it to impact us, we're not allowing it to change us. James says we're just like a person looking in the mirror, and as soon as we walk away, we forget what we look like. And he's not talking about a memory, a memory problem. He's talking about a priority problem. He's describing a person who looks at the Word and goes, yeah, that's not important, and goes about their lives. That's what James is talking about. Listen, we talked about some serious stuff today, right? That are problems even among Christians. Talk about sexual sin and anger. Anger. And Paul would say, that's not who we are in Christ. It's got to stop. It's got to stop now. So kill it. Just kill it. That's what Paul says. There is no room. There is no room for this in the life of a Christian. So kill it. Maybe you're here this morning and, man, Lord just laid it on your heart. I'd love to pray with you. And let me just say, if someone comes up and wants to pray with me, don't assume, the rest of you, that this person has an anger problem or a sexual sin problem. Okay? <laughs> don't do that. It could, could, be, could be a totally different prayer. Okay? could be a totally different animal. Yeah, so I don't want you to go there. Oh, oh. <laughs> Got to throw that out there. Okay? It's like, I know how you, I know how you think. I know, what, I know how you think. Okay? So don't, don't even go there. But if you need prayer, I would love to pray with you. If not here, somewhere else. Okay. If you're looking for a, looking for a church to be part of, talk with me. That's part of our new bylaws, right? Just come talk with me. We'll talk about some things.
Absolutely. Yes? Mm-hmm. Need to look up. Yeah, but it's like we feel like we're a sinner. I mean, or struggling with one of those things that you said. Mm-hmm. We need to reach out to God because we can't do it on our own. Mm-hmm. We need His help. Mm-hmm. I just say yeah. Because if, if, if you tell yourself, oh, "I'm going to change," but you can't change, no. then because no. I couldn't change my personality, I mm-hmm. had to have the Lord help. Mm-hmm. And we're looking up. We we have to look up. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Amen. <laughs> So if, you, if you're interested in, in being part of this church, let me know. Just let me know. Or if there's something else I can pray about. Other than the stuff we talked about, I would love to pray with you as well. So, Larry, as you, where, Larry goes, you lead us in music. Come as you feel led.